Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm with Abigail Crompton, or Abby Crompton, as she calls herself, and a very fascinating uh, woman who's been in the art scene for a number of years. And just every time I meet her, she seems to come up with new projects that I go, oh my God, that's amazing. So welcome to the show, Abby. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Abby, I first met you many years ago when you were at Craft Victoria. Yes, I was at Craft Victoria for about three and a half years as um, their retail manager. I um, established the store there in um, in um, Flinders Lane, which was um, very much a, um, a kind of pinnacle aspect of my um, career, um, working with um, the makers and the amazing people that I came across, and certainly, certainly you were one of them. So. Well, Abby, I still remember you, you brought out some of the, I think you told me at the time you were going to start a venture producing tea towels, and I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea, and I, I thought, good luck, but I wasn't sure what would happen as a result. You've been amazing since then. Tell me how that all started, because Third Draw Down is your business, and how did that start? Um, it was a mixture of things. Um, um, I suppose going back to um, my my origin of, of what I studied, I did psychology um, and I did fine art at RMIT. And um, after I left RMIT, I worked for the National Gallery of Victoria as a as a product developer, um, and that was my first taste of um, you know the notion of actually being able to work with really amazing artists and to then turn their product into uh, their art into a product and so um for exhibitions yes for exhibitions so it was kind of like utilizing both my right and left hand side of my brain where i could be creative but i could also be commercially savvy in um in how that was kind of appropriated because it's really appropriating art um and so after i left the ngv i worked for the craft victoria and while i was there i really enjoyed um, talking with craft makers because they, because they're studio based, I really took an understanding of what a small business or what a, a um, or, or what a maker, um, you know how how they can, um, you know can make a career out of it. And at that time, I was kind of thinking of projects that I'd like to do on the side. And my dad had um, he had a textile business, and he. Um, had the um, this company he was working with had shrunk a thousand tea towels, and he said to me, "Would you like them?" And I was thinking, "What am I?" As a mistake. Do? As a mistake, what am I going to do with a thousand tea towels? And so, I started, you know, being a fine artist, like embroidering and doing things with it. I was like, "That's not my practice. I, I don't really make things myself. I'd much prefer to collaborate with people. And kind of going back to the 1960s, Andy Warhol, Art Multiples, the idea of making affordable art, I started to fashion this concept around collaborating with artists from around the world and making limited edition prints. But instead of them being um, uh, on paper, then I would make them on tea towels and sell them as... Works of art. Works of art. And to really question the notion of what art really is um, and making it, um, I suppose, something that 
we live in every on a day-to-day basis and a tea towel is something which is highly domestic. Um, so that was kind of the beginning to how I started. And that's what was Abby, what was your first project as a tea towel for a gallery or a museum that was really a milestone for you? Um, I think there's a couple. I think when I first started Third Row Down, which is now 10 years ago, um, I worked with um, with an artist who I actually met in a nightclub when I was researching the name for Third Row Down because I really wanted to make sure that the name, that well, people kept their tea towels in their Third Row Down. So I did quite a comprehensive study of from taxi drivers to random people in a nightclub. Mm. And while I was in a nightclub one night, I actually met an artist, um, David Vlaslo, and um, he wanted to write out the entire Australian constitution by hand onto the size of a tea towel and to print it as a tea towel. And the handwriting was so small and you could see all the beautiful mistakes of the rubbing out and whatever, and that was called static white noise. And I think that piece really, from a beginning, you know, it was a highly collectible work of art. I suppose kind of moving on about five years ago, the idea of doing tea towels wasn't ultimately my lifelong career. Like I'm always known for doing tea towels. But, but it's, you do so many other things I now. do so many other things. And so it was really like a passage for me to get to really working with art museums around the world to develop products for them. It was my entrance. So uh, about five years ago, I was approached by the Tate Modern to go over there and to work with their artists in their collection. During my time there, I I wrote a list of all the artists that I wanted to work with. And (laughs) e.g.? Well... um, All you want to say. No, no, no. It's quite interesting. I still have my list, so... I think the main the main aspect is when I went to the meeting, I took my list down and I said, look, you know, here's my list and these are the artists I'd like to work with. And on top of my list is Louise Bourgeois. And the buyers looked at each other and they just they just moved across the, the folder across the desk and they said, Abby, that is the artist that we want you to work with. We How want amazing. you to work with Louise Bourgeois. Look, she's one of my heroes. Yes. I think she's most the late Louise Bourgeois. And um, I think you, uh, a few years ago you told me you had a meeting with her I mean, how does how do you feel being at the Tate Modern, working with and working with people with Louise Bourgeois? I mean, were you intimidated by the whole thing? Um, it was it was a huge turning point in my life, Stephen. Because what year was this? It would have been two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't practice uh, graphic design at RMIT, I did fine art. I'm a painter. I, I don't have computer skills. And so when the Tate invited me to work with Louise Bourgeois, I remember coming back to Australia and working on my ideas and I um, put together this very basic kind of, um, um, you know, concept book of it. I remember sending it out to my friends and I was getting responses like, oh, I think you should um, send this to a graphic designer just to really sharp happy because <laughs> it's really not, you know, I don't see myself, um, like ultimately as a designer, I see myself as, as, as a creative director. And so 
you know, during that that process of of really analysing Louise's work and having a psychology background, I really enjoyed the psychoanalytical aspects of of um, her so, pieces, and um, so it it totally resonated th- throughout my core. Abby, how does it work? The process. I mean, when you're starting doing a range of products on Louise Bourgeois for Louise Bourgeois. How do you start? You obviously absorb her work, mm. but to actually present those ideas to her must have been just challenging. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> she's really. Very, you know, she could either go either way. I imagine say, "Look, this isn't me." Um, I think. Um, well, it, it, it's quite fascinating because the works that we did were very um, similar to the pieces we made responses to her work. So, for instance, um, I'm looking at um, a handkerchief saying, "I've been to Helen back, and let me tell you, it was wonderful." Fabulous. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was a really. Um, it was a really amazing single project that that we did. We produced eight editions for Louise. Um, the the handkerchief that we made, I've been to Hell and Back, and let me tell you, it was wonderful. Was um, was originally a handkerchief, a men's handkerchief, the same size as the piece that we have here in the studio. And um, I had just before working with a Tate, I'd been to India. Um, and um, I randomly met this incredible woman, Robin Beach. I wrote a book on her. Aha, uh-huh, there you go. <laughs> She's an amazing, um, amazing, amazing woman. Photographer. And photographer. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, she worked a lot with Vivian Westwood in her early days. And um, I stayed with her in Vindavan where she has been residing now, I think, for 20 years mm. now. Um, and she introduced me to um, a small group of, um, of textile um, uh, makers that make all the headpieces um, for Krishna. And um, I was talking to them about... Because uh, um, um, the long cotton that you um, can buy in India is is um, quite different to any other cotton than I think I have um, felt anywhere in the world. So we worked with a very, very small village, about four women that hand-rolled edges on these handkerchiefs. It took them about five months to produce around a 1,000 handkerchiefs, uh, which is the addition for this handkerchief. Mm. Um, and um, at the time Louise Bourgeois exhibition started at the Tate, it was also when Freeze Art was on, and... Um, all the people from Freeze Art went to this show, and in the first three days of Louise's exhibition, they had sold out of this handkerchief, and there oh, was amazing. three months to go. So we actually produced another two editions um, of this alongside other, um, you know, other products. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was an amazing. Um, so shifting how- in my in my career mm-hmm. um, to be you know um, working with such an incredible artist. Um, what was Louise's reaction when you showed her this hanky? She loved it. Um, the only thing she asked us to remove, um, which we only have three um, artist proofs of, is um, a very very small little um, embroidered. Um, squiggle in the top corner um, and that's the only difference between her original handkerchief and the addition that we made 
Um, and since then, because of building a relationship with um, Louise Bourgeois, we have continued working now with the estate um, and we have licensed a series of products. What else have you produced? Um, we have done... Um, We've done a mug set, which is um, uh, uh, using um, beautiful um, drawings of her hand, and each mug has a different hand. The hand is working with, um, it's actually Louise's hand and Jerry, which is, um, has really been her lifelong assistant. So we've done mugs, we've worked with her, her fabric works, which are the most amazing mm. pieces of fabric that she's re-sewn into incredible patterns. So we've done those as placemats and coasters. We've done a tea towel, which is of her cat, and it has this most beautiful embroidered kind of third eye. And we we sell those into art museum stores around the world. So, And Abby, do you work with local artists producing these items? Yeah, we do. How um, do you find them? How do you select them? Do you, do you see an artist and say, look, I think that person's going to be great producing Louise Bourgeois or someone else? Yeah, it's very much... I. I work on a very instinctual side of of finding things. I think that's how I interpret art. I don't I don't read theory, but I I'm bound by images. I'm a very visual person and once I connect with an image, um it doesn't ultimately matter who who the artist is, it's more that that image has struck me and they're the reasons why I work with a lot of different people. So you know, from this, the studio side of things, we work closely with museums and the artists that either they pick or exhibitions that are coming up. And then we also have our own collections that we build. So we work with people like John Campbell. Last year, we started working with Arts Project Australia on, um, on a series of editions, textile editions with them. Uh, another feather in your cap, although you've got several, um, you're now working with one of the world's leading artists in China, Ai Weiwei. That's so true. And I thought, how extraordinary. Another milestone for you. You know, going back into how things happen in life and the same way that the Tate happened with Louise Bourgeois, uh, last year at the Melbourne Film Festival, I watched the um, the documentary about Ai Weiwei called Ai Weiwei Never Sorry. And I remember afterwards the producer um, and director was there and I had to run after her. And just, again, it was a life-altering experience to see what was happening to Ai Weiwei and also what was going on in China. And after I left, I had this very deep kind of sense of, well, what can I do? I don't want to be a bystander in life. I don't want to sit and watch things happen. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I feel like I need to do something with Ai Weiwei. And I started talking to friends of mine that had interviewed him. And although he's a very public man, he's actually quite a private man. And in the end, I didn't really know how to contact him. And so one day I was talking to my only friend in Beijing and I said to Noel, you know, he asked what I was doing. I said, oh, Noel, I really like Ai Weiwei's work. Do you, do you know of his art? And Noel's like, are you joking, Abby? I go to his parties. Like, what do you want to do with Ai Weiwei? And I was like, really? Like, you think that, you know, you could send through a presentation to him? 
And so I was introduced to Ai Weiwei and we started talking about the different types of things that we could make together. And so that's kind of how the project started with Ai Weiwei. How amazing. And yeah. out of that conversation mm. has come an mm. item and it's another hanky? It is. I, I think I have a thing for handkerchiefs. <laughs> I hope it... Um, and explain. Mm. The handkerchief is a piece titled Sunflower Seeds. It was a work that Ai Weiwei produced for the Tate Modern in the Turbine Hall, where he worked with a very small group of porcelain artists in a specific region of, of China, and they hand-produced 20, it's actually 28 million hand-painted porcelain sunflower seeds. Mm. So the show itself had 20 million and then there's 8 million in reserve because um, at the time they wanted the piece um, in the turbine hall so people can actually sit on it. But then they realised with the porcelain dust, as people were kind of walking on the sunflower seeds, there was a porcelain dust that, mm. like, as a residue. And so they actually had to block it off, which again is another symbolic kind of you know, notion of the work. So that's one of the pieces. The other piece that we've worked with is a dropping of the dynasty urn which is a triptych. It's, it's a photograph of um, Ai Weiwei dropping a, a, a dynasty urn. And then we have also produced a piece called Perspective. Mm -hmm. And that work is his hand with his finger, middle finger up in front of Tiananmen Square as a very large 1.2 by 1.2 metre colour scarf, digital print scarf. Very exciting stuff. It is. It's really amazing. And um, it's really fantastic to see art museums uh, representing it in their stores. I think with Ai Weiwei, there is, a, there is a political edge to his work. It's interesting to receive feedback in regards to that aspect. He's got some really fantastic shows coming up in Miami and Brooklyn Museum soon, too, which is good. Abby... On another level, because you're doing multiples of things, mm. there must be times where things just don't go right and you're producing, you know, thousands of the one item and sometimes it might be just instructions get misinterpreted and you end up with the wrong mug. <laughs> what Does that happen? I mean, do you have mistakes? Um, look, we do. We've been working with the same suppliers for many years now, and they know when they've made a mistake, we can make alterations to that. Before that time, I went through um, one project where I was actually working with a company, and they, they did get it wrong. And it actually made me realise the importance of building solid foundations with good suppliers and 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 what that means to the types of projects that we can do. Mm. So we've actually found ourselves now in a position where we are really confident with the level and quality of our work for the museums that we work with because it, it is very specific. We are working in a very accurate nature to be able to reproduce work mm. as close to the original or else as close to the artist has required that piece mm. to be. They're the things that I love and 
you know, that kind of gets me up in the morning, those challenges. <laughs> Abigail, or Abby, um, you've got some other things you want to talk about. You've got them on your yeah. desk. One is, um, there was a magazine you brought in. Yes, Modern Farmer. I've never heard of it before. Um, Modern Farmer is new. That's probably why you haven't really heard of it before. You've got in front of you, Stephen, the first issue. Modern Farmer has started with an amazing woman in America, Anne-Marie Gardner. She was the founding editor of Monocle magazine. And um, what Modern Farmer really allows is it's, it's about bringing food to your table. It's about sustainability and about how we how our modern world kind of lives. There are articles in there that are really fascinating. One in particular kind of blew me away was an article about organic farming in China. Mm-hmm. And um, she interviews the founder of organic farming and just how it took him millions and millions of dollars and over five years to not only find land removed enough from from manufacturing and factories but also to replenish the soil to make it organic enough and he now produces uh, boxes of organic food that are shipped out to Chinese families and and there are people following him but because the population is so massive there is really no competition for you know for the growth and really the need for you know for these things to change in China but it also kind of looks in like design in a sense of like you know what farmers look like there's this kind of perception being an urban based person of farming being so removed and what modern farmer tries to do is it tries to bridge that gap by writing articles about the influences of modern day and how we could all go and work on the land if we really wanted to. The other piece that I brought in, which is something quite close to my heart, is um, I, oh, I've i been working over the last year more and more closely with Arts Project Australia, and I wanted to, I suppose, um, talk about the exciting projects that they're working on and that got um, next year really incredible. They're coming up to 40 years of existing and they're having a really major conference on outsider art. And I think for me personally, the influence of of artists that take uh, alternative viewpoints and to be able to express their their feelings in a visual way is something that I kind of look at over my 10 years of kind of curating the people that I work with with Third Draw Down as quite a big influence. I think that's why they are special people that, um, you know, I, I wanted to be able to mention today for the work that they do. Is there a specific project that you're working on with them at the moment? Um, we, ha- we started last year. We work with Paul Hodges, um, who is an arts project artist, um, We've done a tea towel with him and also um, Patrick Francis. Um, we are working in our next collection. Um, and um, the, um, I suppose from a, from a collector's point of view, I actually collect a lot of the, um, the work that is produced from Arts Project Australia. Um, one artist in particular um, is... Um, a man called Alan um, Constable, who um, creates the most beautiful ceramic cameras. And uh, he has been a part of Arts Project for many, many years. And uh, the work that he makes is just 
quite astonishing. It's one of those things the artists at Arts Projects are seen as artists first. As artists first, Alan is actually legally blind. And so he he makes his cameras from minimal sight. And I just find his work so beautiful. And how will you reinterpret all... Um, well, I, I suppose it's more just from, from a collector's, more from a personal point of view that um, I'm even really discussing his work and also the relevance of Arts Project Australia just in my life as something that affects me, you know, and on a daily basis of the importance of what, what they're doing. Abby, you also have a store in um, just off Gertrude Street in Fitzroy called Third Draw Down where you bring together all these wonderful things you've been working on over many years. So that obviously gets you some sense of what's working and what isn't working, or is it just different markets react differently? Um, I utilise it for a number of different reasons. One is I would classify myself in a way as being a social hermit. So having a retail store allows me a, a mode to be able to be a part of of a community. It allows me for research purposes to bring in products that we like and to see how they sell and to then be able to work with our clients in the design studio side of things, of things that we, we believe are really great ideas. We've also started, which I'm really excited about over the last year, working as consultants to museums where we actually curate uh, source products from around the world for exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So again, I kind of, I spend, you know, half my day on the internet and just looking at, at objects and things. And it's also a way of kind of having fun because we have some pretty kind of left of center objects and things in there. So it's, it's kind of my way of having humor. I think that's, I think that's something that you touch on. That's quite important. If I have to sum up some of the pieces I've seen, it very humorous, very quirky. There's that in joke in a lot of the pieces that are produced. Is that something you think is very Australian or very worldwide? Oh no, I think it's worldwide. Yeah, because I look at the the products that we buy in that are humorous and they do come from all around the world. I think humor as a is a very fundamental emotion that we all have um and I think in nearly every culture uh humor is as is integral to it. Yeah, we enjoy representing things that we find funny. Finally, uh, Abby, how do you see products? How do you see them changing since the time you've been in business? I mean, are people wanting... What are they wanting, do you think, when they see an exhibition, whether it's a Monet exhibition or a, a Mark Rothko exhibition? What do you think people generally expect from something associated with that exhibition? Is it a flavour of the work? Is it... No, I think it's a... It's a it's an it's an accurate depiction of of the work. I think there's kind of really two aspects. One is the memento of the actual. So they're the things like the the mugs and the plates and the bookmark and the magnets and you know that side of things like let's say their core kind of products. But then also it's people that want to buy an addition 
that is created by that artist, especially contemporary artists. It's um, a bit hard to create an edition with a deceased artist that um, allows them to buy something affordable by that artist while they're at that show. So there's kind of really the two angles mm-hmm. of what you normally find in kind of like, you know, exit through the gift shop kind of um, area that I work in. <laughs> Abby, look, it's been a pleasure having you on today. I, it's an extraordinary achievement in terms of w- what you've done in the last 10 years. And I still remember when you presented your, your tea towel and I thought, how can you make a living out of tea towels? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just something you wash the dishes with. So, um, well done. I mean, extraordinary achievement. And, you know, to be working with people like Ai Weiwei and, and Louise Bourgeois, really, for someone like myself, it's just an amazing, amazing feat. So thank you for coming in to talk to me today. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for coming in, Abby. Thanks, Stephen.